0: I confess to Almighty God, to Blessed Mary the Virgin, to Blessed mary the Archangel, to, to Blessed John the Baptist, to the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul, and to, to all the Saints, that, that I have sinned Christ, exceedingly in thought, word, and deed, through, my, my, thought, my, through my, my fault, through my, through my, my, mind, through through my, my fault, through my most grievous fault.
1: If a tree falls Christ, in the woods mary, the and nobody hears it, has it really fallen? If a sin. Is never confessed. Is it really a sin? Forgive my sins bring to life everlasting.
0: Amen. May the Almighty and Merciful Lord grant me pardon, absolution, and remission of my sins.
2: Amen.
3: That you want to tell me,
4: Freud, Sigmund Freud, who uh, launched psychoanalysis, initiated it. Um, it would, would have argued that the psychoanalyst had, in a certain sense, to be a father confessor, in a certain sense to be an educator, in a certain sense to be a friend, in a certain sense to be a doctor. So there are all those different modalities among which um, the confessional modality is certainly there. Initially, at least, what you you see or what you find yourself in when you go to a psychoanalyst is a one-to-one, private, confidential situation in which you, generally speaking, are telling the psychoanalyst things that you perhaps would not tell your closest friend and things that perhaps are difficult for you to talk about, Um, things then very often that relate to your own failings. Uh, relate to your own um, incompetencies. Above all, in psychoanalysis, the person is coming with a sense of pain.
5: Sorry, you were saying?
1: I'm talking about sin. Sins are, are dark. Sins are, are... They live in some dark corner. It was... Um, I think it was Jung said, all the old primitive sins are not dead, but are crouching in the dark corners of our modern hearts. A sin becomes light, it becomes, um, it evaporates, it, it, it burns itself up in, in the very act of, of confessing. The sin pff, burns itself up, evaporates, becomes what? Um, heat. <laughs> is, that, is that what happens to sin when you, when you burn it off? It just becomes heat, it dissipates into the air and warms us all up. Well, then I say, um, more power to confession.
3: Well, there was one thing I was never keen to tell in confession, um, but it did bother me for quite a long period in my life. And it was something that happened when I was about, um, 13, maybe, 12, 13, 14, I'm not sure. But I was starting to get interested in women and, um, my self-esteem was very low and I didn't think that anyone would ever be interested in me and I didn't think that God would ever help me in that department. So I made a contract with the devil, as it, so to speak. Uh, and the content of the, of the contract was that I would um, sell my soul if the devil would bring me a woman and that uh, I would have sex with this woman. And I had had a fairly graphic description tied up in that. And um, I suppose I'd forgotten about it, maybe, but it was something that was underlying for most of my life, I suppose, until I was about 33 or 34, and I didn't actually go into a confessional box. I had a very close friend at the time, I sat down with him and discussed the whole thing with him and uh, I was I was never game to go to a priest with it because of the fear of punishment or retribution, but he really it said some practical things to me, like did I ever think of reversing that contract or did I ever think about, uh, you know, just saying something out loud that would dispel the, the influence that it had had on my... And I'd had a fairly difficult life, particularly with women, and uh, I I sort of was always very shy around women and couldn't feel at ease and and used to think if they knew about this contract that I'd made, well, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me, you know. So it really uh, relieved all of that and it reversed the whole Um, way I I related to women and how I felt much more comfortable with myself um, in all areas of my life. So I guess that's part of a confession. That's it. Thank you.
6: Okay, and if you face the microphone there in front of you, look at the red light. No, no, look at the red light there. Turn round. Turn round this way. Here. Hello? Yeah,
5: you can start talking when you're ready. Oh my God. Oh my God. I drink it too much, right? I'm not happy. My heart is broken. I feel... Hang on. I am a drinker. Thank you. Uh. Have you finished?
0: Did you get
6: that? You? Yes,
0: I did. Thank you very much. That was great. Don't stay a <laughs> No, come, there
7: are other people
5: waiting to talk in here. Would you like
7: to come now? Hello. I'm making a small confession that I did when I was a child. Um, in my mother's house. Sometimes there'd be money lying around, and if there wasn't anybody looking, then I would take some. I'm sure my mother knew, but didn't say anything. So if you do find out, ma'am, let me know how much I owe you.
3: Uh, Going back to my childhood, uh I decided to uh, midge from school one day and as I was walking uh, out in uh, the countryside, I saw an orchard and um, I uh, had a look around and I said to myself, there's nobody around so I would like to take an apple. And when I decided to go and take the apple, I thought again, to have a look around and see was there anybody watching me. And I saw that there wasn't. And then I realised that maybe the guard might have been watching me. So that in itself was uh, enough to frighten me uh, not to go in and uh, rob uh, the orchard. The
2: initial evidence was pretty circumstantial. They said they heard the voice of God walking in the garden that night and hid among the trees. And when the Lord asked the man where he'd been, Adam replied that he'd heard God's voice and been frightened because he was naked, and so he hid. That was all. But it was enough for the supposition to be made anyway. And as soon as it was said, as soon as God asked if they'd eaten fruit from the tree that was forbidden to them, or how else would they know they were naked... Adam confessed. It was Eve, he said, who took the fruit and ate it and then offered it to him. It was Eve. No mention made of her sweet, impulsive nature, her thoughtfulness and generosity. So there she stood accused, dear Eve. Her plump flesh jostled by sticky fig leaves, her confusion manifest. And really not a lot more is known. There was some word of her being lured into the whole sorry business by a serpent, but who can say? What was on her mind as she cupped the rounded fruit in her hand and plucked it from the tree? Did she grate her sharp little teeth on its wall, begging entry, or gnash straight through in more courageous style? Did she sculpt or slash her way to its heart? And was she shocked by its resistance? by the surge of spit in her mouth rushing to its tang, by its heady perfume and the soft pop, pop, pop of its juices.
8: Why is original sin so cold?
3: I'm
6: Priest's affair. How did it begin? Well, it was his voice, low in the dim confessional box, and all that sin. I suppose I remember very clearly my first confession and my last, which is more than everyone can say. Uh, I stopped going to confession quite late for my generation, in a way. I went very faithfully till I was about 20 and um, I remember my last confession because I deliberately went to a specific priest that I thought would be enlightened and told him that I was completely disillusioned with the church and didn't really believe anymore and I think I expected him to take on board what I was saying and maybe try to dissuade me but he had no interest whatsoever and he told me that I was going through a phase and um, that was it I never went to confession again um what I remember from when I was a small child, I was a very devout child and I took confession very seriously. But one of the things that I think made me uncomfortable with it long before I could intellectualize, you know, why I felt so guilty all the time and the whole notion of sin and guilt and belief, the more... Um, the questions of whether I believe this priest had any power indeed to forgive my sins or be a mediator. Long before that, there was something else, which was that being locked into a dark confessional box with a man who whispered, there was a sort of horrible enforced intimacy about that. Um, There was this thick darkness And later on, when it came to the questions about specific types of sin and whether you had had impure thoughts, the one that we all joke about, there was a feeling of extraordinary invasiveness and discomfort. And I remember that prior to any other negative feeling about confession.
8: There were ten of us, five of us on each side of a church, in little boxes that looked like a wardrobe, sitting for five hours... At a time, without a break, and you would never even you would never even be, have a moment to breathe and you got every cold, every flu, every cough, every bad breath, every garlic meal you got the two of them coming into you from every side, and you got out of that box, and your mind was sozzled and actually, you were dying for somebody to come in and tell you a decent sin because what they told you was a list that they had learned at primary school and it began, bless me father for I have sinned, it is two weeks since my last confession in that time I've ten times, I told lies three times I was disobedient to my mother and father five times uh, I was uncharitable in my thoughts six times and I had bad thoughts four times and I broke the nine once now the biggie was the one that they rattled out at the tail end hoping you'd forget it and that was the sexual sin, as they thought it was a sexual sin. People were brilliant at knowing how to minimise their sins so that the priest who was seen as a tormentor and a judge would be fooled. They knew that God would forgive them. They had no problem with God. It was this guy on the other side of the box that they had to get round.
6: The truth is, I suppose, that I miss it. I'm sorry I don't believe in it anymore. I miss that wonderful sense that I still have because obviously I haven't developed very far along these lines of I really believed the image I had before my first confession which was this wonderful shiny white soul which would be blackened by sin and I always thought of that sin as a big dark blob of ink. Maybe somebody told me that or maybe it was a... Um, vision of things to come but I really believed when I went in that my soul would become this wonderfully pearly, shiny thing sort of like the moon and I wish I still believed that maybe somewhere I do still believe that Um, I think the end of confession was the end of innocence and maybe that's the price
1: WASH Wash me clean, mend my wounded seams, cleanse my tarnished dreams.
7: think it's very important to reflect somewhat on the problems we carry from childhood into adulthood and the reasons for the upset and the hurt that many of us feel dogs us throughout our lifetime as adults. Many of us have successful lives and supposedly happy families, but carry the blackness of a dichotomy or a depression in life, which we have to come to terms with sooner or later in order to move on. In my own life, I had an incident which set off a deep hurt in me at the time, but ultimately led to secondary behaviour in my family, which continues to this day. We are, as they say, a dysfunctional family. That behaviour in the past was sexual abuse in my childhood, which was conducted towards me and my sisters by a Catholic priest who was a trusted member of our community, but more importantly, a close and trusted friend of my family. My family never knew what happened because we conducted ourselves and lived our lives as very successful, middle-class people. In my own life, everything was reportedly on the outside going very well but in the inside i always felt that there was something not right today i have addressed that fact i have actually reported now the crime that was done to me and i know that my sisters were also systematically abused one of them from the tender age of 9
0: There
9: you are now. Did you hear that? When I was in uh, London about uh, two years ago, I, said, I brought over a lot of birth certs with me, you know, the families and a uh, few relations and neighbours and, and friends and friends of friends and signed on for all of them. They're all the same age as me, looked at me. got about I got about £1,000 a week out of it anyway, you know, and didn't get caught. It was great fun, enjoyed it. It blew every bit of money. And, uh, at the time, you know, I was... Uh, I was into, you know, mixing, mixing with the London scene, basically, and uh, at the time, you know, I was a fairly handy, um, fairly handy car mechanic as well, so I uh, took a few cars as well, and that was it. I didn't get caught with that either, you know. I was kind of whistling Dixie, <laughs> you know, but I just thought I'd come here and, talk, like, talk about it, you know, because, like, nobody knows who I am, nobody cares who I am, and, it, and I got away with it, and I feel good about it, and I probably might do it again because I got away with it. The end.
4: Bye. Well, what do you make of that? mainstream of Freud and Melanie Klein and, and Jacques Lacan, perhaps, their focus is on helping somebody to, to realise their own desire. Now, realising your own desire or actualizing your own desire is, in some vocabularies, in some theological vocabularies, would indeed be to, to encourage people to sin. Because what you're trying to reach Um, in psychoanalysis is precisely something that that contradicts an ideology or that that goes against and in that sense could be seen, as I say, as a sin. But there's a much more fundamental sense in which psychoanalysis uh, does have a notion of sin. Because for analysis, the whole way in which a human being becomes a human being is fraught with difficulty. And in particular, uh, with the difficulty of coming to terms with the the demands and the desires of your own very own family. Uh, You're awaited before you're born at all by people who have all sorts of expectations. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? I'm sorry. We seem to have lost him for now. We'll we'll try and get back to him as soon as possible.
8: When is a sin
3: mortal? A sin is mortal when the act
8: is grievously wrong, and, and it's with is clear it knowledge it and full
5: consent. consent. Why is mortal?
4: The
8: word mortal
4: means deadly, and the sin is called mortal because it takes away the
3: supernatural life of the soul which is sanctified.
1: Sin always seemed more interesting to me than um, than any of the virtues. When you're good, you seem to be serving everyone else's needs. The bad girls go out there and live. Do I feel guilty about that? No. No, I don't. Um, guilt Guilt holds you back. I mean, guilt is like a, like a tight dress. Um, or, or tight shoes, more than likely. Have I ever done anything that, that has made me feel guilty? I live with myself. I can sleep at night. I know that there are things deep in my heart that... that I need to wash. I need to burn off. I used to write letters when I was feeling really, really angry and, and, and crazy. I would I would write it down and I would put it into the can, a coffee can, and I'd, I'd set a match to it and I'd burn it up. Um, I have been known to collect sticks and rocks and um, grass and rope and whatever I find in the woods on a nice long walk and glue it up and tie it up and make it into something that looks like some sort of voodoo doll and stick pins into it and burn it and trash it and smash it. And that's a kind of a, a way that I purge myself of, of those feelings that I don't really want to hold inside my heart, you know. I was reading about Irish and, and, and sin. And there's something that's, that's called um, sin-eating. I found this fascinating, that uh, the Irish, maybe it goes way, way back, would have a, uh, a, a sort of a ritual to, um, to place food by the body of the dead. Um, and and they designate someone to actually eat this cake. And, and this, this ritual was the eating of the sins of the dead. And that would purge, that would purge the soul of that dead person, of, of any and all sins, throughout, um, so that they're, boom, gone, sins, eaten. Now that unfortunate who had eaten the sins, well, <laughs> I don't know, maybe he or she had to wait until, um, until they dropped dead and somebody else would eat their sins, so it's kind of a, a lovely ritual that keeps on going. And it's a, it's a great idea because, because uh, in one fell swoop, The sins are gone, eaten, digested. What's that?
9: Great,
4: we've got them back.
9: Now, the further process that especially um, people like Freud and Lacan and Klein would would spell out is the great difficulty that people experience in acquiring or, or accommodating themselves to their own sexual identity as a boy or as a girl. Um, which is not at all as automatic or as natural as as may appear again. And many, if not most, of the problems that people bring along to analysis are connected with that whole question of sexual identity, and not just simply sexual acts or, or, or that, but even sexual identity. Now, the prime, and this is, we're coming very much closer now to something that is absolutely scandalous almost in Freud, where he would argue that the prime role of the father and of the law in in uh, the, the evolution or in the development of an individual is to confront them with the prohibition of incest. And that the primal sin, and the primal fault actually in all societies, but the primal sin is that of incest. In other words, primarily a relationship, a sexual relationship with your own uh, parent with your own mother. That would be the prime one. Now, the prime law, as far as psychoanalysis sees, is the obligation to, for, for the father to separate the child from the mother and for the child to accept that. Now, if I could just put it this way, to the extent that one has not achieved this separation, to the extent that one is tempted, therefore, to continue uh, your existence in an incestuous position, you are always guilty. You always feel
10: guilty.
5: Hunger is a terrible thing and hunger is a constant, I think, or was a constant in most boarding schools. It certainly was in the one I went to. And most of us in my school would do absolutely anything to get an extra hard tack. A hard tack was a kind of dessert of cake covered in custard. And normally the only way you could get an extra hard tack was to win it in a game of handball. But once... I was bet by three of my colleagues in school that for three hard tacks, I wouldn't hear confessions. Uh, Now, hearing confessions in a boarding school, particularly the one I went to, was a very risky business. First of all, you put your soul in danger, we had been told, and secondly, and perhaps more importantly, you were also in danger of expulsion from the school if you were caught. But anyway, I thought that the prize was worth the candle and the risk And I remember it was an evening, a Saturday evening in November, one of those dull, dirty, grey Saturday evenings. And the church in our school was lit by two lights. One was a 40-watt bulb at the back of the church and the other was the red light which burned over the altar. I can remember that absolutely clearly. And I got into the church early before any of the other students and also, obviously, before the confessor arrived and took up my position in one of the confession boxes. And I went through two confessions with two first years. Funnily enough, I don't have any recollection whatsoever of what they told me. I know it was all fairly banal stuff. It was um, There was no murder. There was no pillage. It was just the normal run of things. I couldn't resist the power of the moment. And I do remember that I gave them each a rosary to say, which softened their cough, I think, and probably put them on the straight and narrow for the rest of their lives, And I escaped, I would think, by about 30 seconds by getting out of the confession box and back into the church before one of our priests arrived to hear confessions. I mean, I know if I'd been caught, that was the end of it, goodbye. The one thing, I I did have qualms about it afterwards, which says something about what had been beaten into us or talked into us over the years up to that. I was in sixth year at this stage. I did have qualms about it and I went back to the two first years before I left school that year, which was my last year there. And I told them, what had happened, I think probably my qualms were that for some reason their confessions wouldn't be valid and that they and therefore I would probably suffer in hell forever as a result of it. But I did tell them and they took it very well. Didn't seem to be too taken aback by what had happened and had a laugh about it. And I'd forgotten that completely until quite recently some of the guys who were in my school at a 25th anniversary reunion reminded me of it something i don't remember with necessarily great pride but i certainly do remember with fear
8: the element of do we know we're forgiven is actually a faith element in it uh, and and the, the, that is that we have to believe that what we're coming to here is a, is a meeting a communion with god in some way so very many of the sacraments are signs uh, human signs that represent the divine reality. And that's what we believe. Now, to put that in a simple way, we believe that what a sacrament says it does, it in is actually does. Um, Confession, reconciliation, absolution is based on the scriptural idea that, that certain powers were given to human beings by Christ when he made Peter the first pope and he gave him the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom shall be yours and then further on whose sins you shall forgive they are forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain or don't forgive they are not forgiven. So God is saying that in unerringly, when a priest in God's name says your sins are forgiven, then God says, "It's not just the priest is saying that. Unerringly, I do, and I will never go back on my word. So your sins are forgiven." Now that's all a, a leap of faith, but it is for for those who have that faith and are gifted with that faith, it is a it is an it's a lovely a lovely way to be able to go to God and hear a human being in God's name say your sins are forgiven. I think we need that.
0: This was a really terrible thing to do. We had a nice old nun, very old nun, and she was getting a bit doddery, and we liked to play tricks on her, but my trick was a bit beyond the pale because I threw a spitball at her, and it landed on her nose, and it slid down her nose and went slap on the Bible. And then when the nuns came in to say, who threw the spitball at... That the nun, I wouldn't confess, and the whole class was suspended because nobody would tell on me. Uh, and eventually, I had to confess and to get the class reinstated. But I was really, really sorry about that poor old nun because she didn't deserve it. <clears throat> and then, my other true confession is a really mean and nasty true confession. This is a terrible one. My best friend had a mother with taste and she used to buy her these beautiful clothes really nice clothes and my mother had diabolical taste, and she used to send me out in these like military style silver button horrible horrible clothes and I was so jealous of my friend that I actually went and cut the buttons off her coat so Miriam it was me and I'm really sorry I was a cow but I was so jealous <laughs> okay I'm finished
6: I'm an honest and open person. I have nothing to confess. And I think it's as, as a result of the way I was brought up. Uh, on my way home from school, when I was about eight years old, I found some apples and I stuffed them into my school bag and ate some of them. And that night, my mum, when she found discovered them in the bag, she just put it mildly. <laughs> She was very annoyed, and she threatened me that the police would take me in and put me in jail. So I went to bed very worried, couldn't sleep, and it taught me a lifelong lesson. You never take anything that's not belonging to you.
2: Snow White was different. Nobody warned her about apples and temptation or the seduction of innocence by evil. Indeed, so busy were they at work, they never even mentioned talking to strangers. So, when the old woman knocked on the door of the dwarfs' cottage, Snow White didn't so much as bother looking through the window first. She threw open the door, and being a bit greedy, snatched the apple from the hand that proffered it, and yummy, 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 ripped her way through the red shiny skin. And the rest you know except perhaps that it's not much fun being shoved in a glass coffin till your prince appears.
5: When is a sin venial? A sin is venial when the act is
2: not grievously wrong or is committed without clear knowledge or without full consent. What are the effects of venial?
4: does not deprive the soul of sanctifying grace. Mm -hmm. Psychoanalysis would claim, in one sense, not to be an attempt to educate or discipline human desire, and it would argue that up to uh, the advent of analysis of Freud, that really the only interest that was taken in human desire... ...sexual desire, aggressive desire and all of that... ...was in order to educate it and discipline it. That that was the the fundamental and confession therefore traditional confession, in that sense, was there in order to to act, at least from the pedagogical point of view, as a form of teaching and education. You go into a priest in confession and you know approximately the menu that you're meant to choose from. You have the Ten Commandments or you have some other some other uh, items that you have to, to look after. You go into a psychoanalyst and he simply says, speak to me. Um, and you say, well, what do you want me to say? And the response of the analyst is whatever is on your mind. Uh, one of the earliest formulations of Freud was that um, neur- neurotics suffer from their memories. So in that sense what the person has uh, undergone and r- still remembered continues to make the meal. You come along with your unhappy present and you tell the analyst what you know about yourself and um, what you think is the reason for it, he is not listening for what you are aware of. He's listening for the stumbling. He's listening for the mistake you make, the slip uh, of of the tongue, uh, classically, or the dream, or the mistaken logic that will tell him that there is something in your unconscious which has marked you. What's on your mind?
1: A Jesuit priest named uh, Father Thomas McCoog. Wrote recently, as fewer and fewer people come to confession, the more morbidly interested they are in the sins of others, especially sexual sins. Well, what has happened to the confessional box? It's become replaced by a box of a much smaller dimension. TV, radio, phone-ins, that is the modern-day confessional. It's even replaced psychotherapy and psychiatry. Um, people are scrambling to tell their story, their innermost, darkest, deepest, nastiest secrets on TV, on the radio, the phone-ins. I think people can't get enough of of listening to other people's sins, to other people's confessions, and and living vicariously through them, sinning vicariously through them. Let us be the judge, let us be the jury, and uh, let us be the sinners. If we can't actually go out there and do it, well, we can listen to it, we can watch it. That, that's the next best thing.
8: Can you give us a few words, please?
10: My earliest spiritual emotions or feelings, I suppose, were connected with nature. I was brought up in the country on a small farm in Thanks, the west Fred, of Ireland. Thank
8: you. You can start when
10: you see the red light there in front of you. Come on. There was a tradition, very strong at the time, of May altars to Our Lady. Now, these altars would be a little statue, and you collect flowers, primroses especially in that month, but any of the wildflowers that were coming on at that time. And uh, you'd put these at the feet of Our Lady, and you'd do this usually in the mornings before heading off to school, And this continued until we went into rehearsals for our First Communion and, naturally enough, First Confession before that. And when it came time for sort of a trial run for the First Confession, we went down this Saturday and all headed into the confessional box. And it was a bit like uh, that O'Connor short story where once you step into the darkness and the strange atmosphere of the confessional box... And this little um, hatch slides open. And you see this kind of strange face, half disguised by the gauze behind it of the priest. And I just made a hames of it. My mind went complete blank. And the priest uh, lost his patience, just ran me out of the confessional. And that was that. I had to get it right for the next time. Now, the problem was, on the Monday morning, the same priest arrived at our school and... We had been told very clearly that what happened in a confessional box was a very, very private thing, that the priest was, in fact, this almost like a telephone connection between you and God, a channel for your sins going one way and God's grace coming the other way. And uh, you could actually, in the right state of mind and looking for forgiveness, you could probably confess to murder and couldn't break the secrecy of the confessional. However, this priest appeared to have a word in my teacher's ear, and I know I was kept back after school. And punishment was fairly quick and immediate in the form of the cane. And I mean, when you walk away from that situation with your hand throbbing, you get it into your head that maybe this uh, whole confession, communion, and all the other stuff you've been taught is actually some kind of adult conspiracy between very powerful figures in your own community, which was your priest and your teacher.
5: Thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs> How can we avoid <laughs>
1: The spa today, the spa, the gym, that has to be um, the newest confessional. That has to be the newest place to actually work out our sins. Um, Get a colonic. That has to be a great of of sins. I mean, you can literally... Watch your sins being cleansed from your body there's a clear tube that runs from goodness knows where to um goodness knows where <laughs> and you can literally see the badness being being flushed out of your body in a colonic um, We love that we love that it's it's a physical it's a um it's a it's a tangible way of of watching ourselves being washed, psychotherapy takes too long. You know, go to an aromatherapist and 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 get healed. Go to a reflexologist, uh, one of those those um, floating flotation tanks. There's, you know, name your 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 poison. I'm sure that there's a there's a an alternative therapist to to cleanse it. <laughs> I mean, the more you sweat, um, I suppose, the, uh, the less sin you hold on to. O oh
0: my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest my sins above every other evil, because they displease thee, my God, who for thy infinite goodness art so deserving of all my love, and I firmly resolve by thy holy grace never more to offend thee and to amend my life.
7: If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash One.